Good morning, good afternoon, and good night, wherever you're tuning in. We are Slava and Jonathan, bringing you the SideQuest Podcast, where we talk about character development, stories, and all things that are world-building. And we occasionally take side quests, because, frankly, that's how conversations work. Just as a reminder, this whole show is spoiler-heavy. So, sit back, tune in, and join us on this episode of SideQuest. Hello, Slava. Welcome back. Hey there, Jonathan. How's it going? It's better. It's better now. It's better now that I'm recording, and we're not just talking for no reason. That may or may not have just happened. That's fine. We'll let you guess. Jeez. Well, uh, you missed me breaking the fourth and fifth wall in the, in the previous episode. There's a fifth wall. What's what's behind the doors of stone? Never mind. We're not going to talk about that. Different series. Different series. You haven't even read book two. It's fine. All right. Great to great to see everybody again. Happy you're tuning in. I'm going to give a quick rundown of what this format is going to look like moving forward. That we're going to try. We're going to try something new. So we are diving into the Way of Kings. We're going from Threnody in Shadows for Silence in the Forest of Hell over to Roshar with book one, The Way of Kings, the Stormlight Archives. So very excited about that. Been Anytime I get somebody to read this, I'm super ecstatic because it's one of my favorite series. I have, re- I have read this book, uh, I think, about five times now. It's gotten me through some difficult times because I really resonate with the suffering that the characters go through. Yeah, I think Sanderson writes well, obviously. I've said that before to you and on the podcast. I've said that I really enjoy the pace of his writing and his world building. But it comes down to him as a writer. In our previous take, when we were trying to record and it didn't work out, I had mentioned how I resonated with Siri in the the book Warbreaker that you had me read for the, our first read of Sanderson as we were starting this podcast. And I remember you asking me, Hey, so what's happening in the last two chapters trying to get my feedback? And I went on and on. Siri's doing this and Siri's doing that. And I think this is cool. And I think this is interesting. And you're like, what about Vivina? What about Vivina? I was like, yeah, what about her? She's like in the street with some guy doing some stuff. It wasn't exactly Uh, that. It was similar. It was pretty close. And the funny thing about that is Vivina's on the street, literally about to sell her body for food. But I was so attracted to the character Siri because I felt that I could resonate with her on so many levels. So that's on Sanderson for writing a character well. Yeah. Because you can true. write a spunky character and write it poorly. People have done it all the time. I've done it. That's fair. So we're going to read in this book. We're going to go through pretty quickly. This book is thick, double C's. It is 75 chapters plus three sets of interludes, which is three interludes per set. So that's another nine, it's 84 chapters. It's like 90 chapters. And we're going to push uh we're going to push through about 10 chapters an episode. Again, spoilers, always spoilers. It's going to be kind of like a read along because Slava's never read it before. I'm super excited about it, and I've got a surprise for us at episode 10 if I can pull it off. I think I can pull it off, but I'm just I'm really looking forward to it. I'm so excited. Plot twist is just going to be Sanderson. He's going to come on the podcast. Yay. <laughs> that'd be that'd be pretty cool. But yeah, I got a surprise for us for episode 10, and I just can't wait to get into this. I've actually asked other people to read this, 
One in particular was my ex because there's things about who I am as a person that I find difficult to reveal or share because it's about how I view the world. And I feel like this book with Kaladin in particular and Dalinar in particular, the way that they view the world with kind of this warrior spirit and their sense of honor with how they do things is best shared through watching someone else's experience because if you're if you spend enough time with me it will get unveiled but we could speed the process up if i just say hey this book reflects things that i hold true hold to be true and i would love to talk about it but you have to commit to reading it so that's my that's my little opener there won't be a plot synopsis today sorry not sorry we're not going to spoil things for slava's first read through so slava first question Leading up to this, we've talked about this a bunch, but what, what, what's your expectation here? Well, my expectation going into it, fairly high. As I've said, really liked Warbreaker, um, not just because of Siri, but because I like Brandon Sanderson's writing. I'm going to sound like a broken record. I've said that half a dozen times already in this podcast. I like the way he writes characters. I like the pace of his writing. So going into this, after reading Warbreaker... And after our official first episode, reading Shadows for Silence in the Forest of Hell, going into this, I knew I was going to enjoy it. And it started out powerfully. Yeah. So, so, so walk us through the, the starting out. What, where, you know, we've got the prelude where you see Kalek and who's one of the 10 Heralds doing something with another person, Jezrian. And there's swords, and they're on this battlefield. Like, what? Just just dive right in. So this guy, Kalak, is walking through a battlefield, and he's going to a preordained place, right? And he's going to meet what he thinks is nine others, but he only sees one, and mm-hmm. it's this Jezrean. And he sees that there are eight people missing, and he's told by Jezrean that they all abandoned an oath, mm-hmm. or at least seven of the eight. Abandoning the Oath Pact. And another guy is somewhere where these warriors go after the desolation. So every few years... Desolation, yeah. There's this thing that happens that's called the desolation. And after they fight this battle, they all go to a place of nightmares. And they have to stay there and suffer until the next desolation. Mm -hmm. Because they die in these battles, right? So there's one guy that died and... He's in this place of nightmares. Eight of these dude, dudes put their sword into a stone and walked off. And mm-hmm. Jezrean tells Kalak, we are going to do the same thing. Enough is enough. We'll just lie to the people. We'll tell them that we actually won. And that might be true. It might work out. And we're all going to go. And we're done. And begrudgingly, Kalak agrees to this. They put their swords into the stone and leave. So what are your questions? Right? This is a prelude. You know you're stepping into a long journey. What, what are your first questions? And four questions that I wrote down that really, oh. that I wanted answers to. Everything else, I'm like, all right, I'll probably find out. Yeah, it's a book. You'll, it, yeah, you'll figure it out. Yeah. I'll find, even if it takes us into book two, I'll find out. Or three. But right away. Or four. Or, or five. Or, what, I, what I want to know, what I wanted to know right away, who are these men and what power or magic allows them to be resurrected? And Great all these, questions. all these questions, they're tied to each other. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. So then the, the second question is, why are the swords significant? Mm-hmm. Because Another swords were question. significant in Warbreaker. And the little study I did 
on the, the Cosmere, which if anybody in the audience wants to do full spoilers, if, but if you want to do a study in the Cosmere, Coppermind is a wiki for Brandon Sanderson's Cosmere. Coppermind.net. Shout Coppermind. out. Coppermind.net. So I did a little reading there without attempting not to spoil anything for myself. I did mm-hmm. a careful reading. And so swords and objects in the, the Cosmere usually have some sort of magic. And so my question here is, what are these swords? Mm-hmm. What sort of magic do they possess? What sort of power do they possess? Honor blades we'll and char blades, as you go th- into the next couple of chapters, they're explained. One can change the pull of gravity. Another one has a different power. But before even knowing all that, but knowing a little bit about the Cosmere, I want to know what specific power these swords have. Right. How, yeah. Where Great does question. The power, where does the power for these warriors to resurrect come from? Mm, another good question. Another good and question. Just, and obviously, I could sort of figure out what the Oath Pact is. They're protecting the people of Roshan, right? Some, some sort of pact that they've made with the gods or the people. Yep. yep. The, the leaders or the religious echelons of this world. To protect them from the desolation. Yeah. And I, I didn't put what the desolation is as my four questions because I'm like, I'm sure as a... I'm sure right, it's be, a book. You'll figure it out. The fourth question... Oh, yeah. ...is what is this place of darkness, this place of nightmares? Where these guys are tortured? And where is it? Probably mm-hmm. in the spiritual realm somehow in this world, but what and where is it? So those are the four questions I had as soon as the prologue was open or the prelude was closed mm-hmm. yeah Excuse prelude because that was the prelude, prelude. Was interesting yep. okay so so the prelude happens you see something going on you see the honor blades being shoved into the ground you hear about the oath pact we can tell that Kalek is familiar with jezrian he he notes that he still looks regal uh i forget the exact line but He's like, but it's been a while since he sat on the throne, but he still looks as young as he was when he was king, whatever it was. So they, they're all very close. They've made this oath pact. And then we cut over to a new character, Zeph Sunsun Volano. Yeah, truthless, truthless Sin Assassin. Truthless of Shinovar. Yes. Okay. And he's an assassin. And then in the prologue, we watch him use powers, which is fun. And then we watch him kill a king. And we get this whole perspective of he is a servant assassin, slave assassin, for a people group, the Parshendi, who are about to make an alliance with the humans. And then moments later, they assassinate the king they just made an alliance with. What are you thinking at this point? Let's back up for just a second. Yeah. Between the the end and the big the prologue it's 4500 years that's true so in my head i'm like all right so 4500 years later there has been any desolations i guess guess not yeah i guess not and so we enter the story where yeah, there's, a, there's a peace treaty about to be signed and the parshendi are killing the king that they're signing the peace treaty with i can't i can't tell you exactly what i was thinking apart from like oh they're coming out swinging the prologue. Yep. And then what do you, What did you think about the conversation between Gavilar, the king, and Zeth, the assassin? Intriguing. Mm. I found it intriguing. Mm-hmm. The, the first intriguing thing about that whole bit 
yeah. their fight. Yeah. The, the, the yeah. actual assassination is you find out that the king is a shard bearer where the Zeth thinks he's the king has run away and he has to kill the shard bearer before he can get the king. Yep. And in the middle of this thing, he realizes, oh, wait a minute. Now, that's the king. Right. He goes and fights the shard bearer, wounds him mortally, and the shard bearer, this king, gives him a strange object and mm-hmm. tells him to tell his brother Dalinar, tell my brother he must find the most important words a man can say. So uh, that itself is Find the mysterious. most important words a man can say. Slava, what are the most important words a man can say? I know you're setting me up for something, and I don't know. <laughs> if you're setting me up for something I, that I... So we're going to come back to this, right? We're going to come back to this. I want you to just think about it, and then, you know, maybe before the end of the episode, you can just tell us, what do you think that the most important words a man can say is? Say are. Because it'll be it'll be fun for you to just, like, make the assertion now, and then whenever we learn more about this sentence, we can go back and go, oh, yeah, interesting, right? So, yeah, a lot of questions just between the the prelude, which is, you know, diving us into the world, right? So we, there's clearly magic in the world. There's clearly these big swords. There's some sort of resurrection powers possible. And then also these powers, these strange powers are happening because Zeth even notes when he meets the guards who are like, hey, stop, it's supposed to be up here. He, He goes, they've never seen someone do what I can do. So these powers haven't existed for ever or for a very long time. One of the two. Who knows? But yes, yeah, so many questions. Why Why kill the king? Why does he need his brother to know this very important last message? What was the object he was carrying? And when you do read-throughs of this prologue, it's really interesting how many layers Sanderson has put into little details i'm not going to specify them but if you've read this more than once and you've read other cosmere books you know exactly what i'm talking about so it's just interesting who sent you yeah he said who sent you and his guess was wrong well zet tells him right that was the prashendi that sent him yeah that's right king is confused by it he doesn't understand and neither do we 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 don't understand either all right so we've gotten two world building chapters and we're just going something's going on here i don't know what but it's something and it's big so then we dive into chapter two chapter one chapter one that was a test was it no (laughs) no No. tell me about chapter one my notes are wrong well chapter one we we gotta change pace because we're in battles but the pov changes from a main character to send a recruit in the army. Amaram's army. Yeah, Brett Lord Amaram's army. And he's standing in line in formation and is terrified because, well, it's his first time. Yeah. Kaladin Stormblessed takes him into his squad and we find out later on in chapter three, I think, it was to protect him. And he tries his best, but he ends up failing at protecting Sen. Even though he, we see Kaladin's ability at fighting surpasses most men. How cool yeah. was it when you saw Sen be surrounded by six guys, and then you're like, "Oh, this kid's dead!" And Kaladin just shows up and single-handedly fights six guys at once. That was pretty cool. It's pretty cool. You're like, "Man, I wish I could do that." Yeah. 
and then send blacks out for blood loss. Yep. And as he's blacking out, Kaladin sees um, a shard bearer on the other side of the battlefield. So the enemy has a shard bearer. Where they're fighting is a shard bearer. And he goes to fight him. As he's fighting him, the chapter ends. And as we go into chapter two, we're like eight months in the future and Kaladin's no longer a soldier. Kaladin is no longer a soldier. And the title of this chapter is Honor is Dead. What a great chapter. More more on that at some point. The chapters all have these things called epigraph. Oh, yeah. Tell me about... I'm very interested in yeah. epigraphs. So tell me about your interaction with these epigraphs. Each one covers a man's final words. Mm-hmm. He says something esoteric, mysterious, and then it's noted that he said this 18 seconds before death or 30 seconds before death. Mm-hmm. What would you call them? Like death rattles, I guess. Or yeah, what, death or, rattles. That's what they call them. Yeah. I was very much intrigued by them. I want to know more about who, and I did some reading on, on them, not far enough to, you know, spoil things for me, but I found out, let me find my notes. Let me find my notes. They're able to get these epigraphs because a spren is somehow able to extract these things from them, and they were written down. But by whom and how, I don't know. Interesting. More questions. More questions. But one of the one of the things that we see from Kaladin as a character is we know that he was a soldier. We know that he's now a slave. That's a question. We also see him start to take note that he knows about medicine somehow. And he's clearly depressed from his situation. I mean, we don't know what happened yet, but clearly not good, whatever it was. And he's demoralizing uh, because he's, or he's demoralized because he's a slave. And then he's demoralizing the other slaves because he's tried to run away, we found out. Yeah. And it seems like whatever happened to him, I'm taking a guess at it, he was betrayed by somebody close to him. Somebody that he knew or loved or Mm -hmm. fought with betrayed him. Seems like a fair. That makes, that makes the most sense to me. Seems like a fair assessment, but this this slave is like, hey, let's take me with you next time you run away. And Kaladin's like, no. We can see from the internal monologue that Kaladin is also still deeply passionate as a person, even though he's depressed and downcast. Yeah. And then his slaver, Tavlakov, is being a dingus, and Kaladin happens to somehow have Blackbane, which is a highly poisonous leaf. So... Who knows? That leads us into another new character in Chapter 3, Shallan. She's interesting. What do you think about her? Well, she's a spirit or a spren, and she takes the form of a young woman to talk to Cal. You sure? She, that's your that's your theory? That's my theory. That's, that's what I got from the read, that she, well, what's a spren? It's a, it's a spirit, right? Spren is a spirit, yep. Right. So she's a spren. She takes a form of a young woman. And she starts engaging him, and she knows that his name is Kel. So you think that that's the character Shalon that we meet in Chapter 3? No, that's not at all the character. Shalon is a girl who draws really well. Yes. And is on a boat. I was moving on to Chapter 3. That's why I was like, what are you talking about? But yes, there is a spirit, and she talks to Kaladin. We'll cut this in post, I suppose. Or maybe not. It's a journey. 
Journey before destination. Yeah, yeah, no, I get it. And my ego's not that big. Mm-hmm. So, Shalon, back on track. Uh, Shalon is a young woman on a journey. To Carbroth. Yeah, to find Jasna Colin, a woman of high stature, but also a heretic, to s- steal a soul caster from her. Mm-hmm. Because somehow the soul caster is going to help her family recover financially because her older brother's dead oldest brother is dead and so is her father and her other brothers are putting on a dog and pony show at home classic dog and pony show except for one of them who is torturing animals (laughs) the rest of them are actually working to hide the we'll get there we'll get there i i i love in that chapter where he's like i'm the only one who came out unscathed tears a limb off of a crab yeah bud you're doing yeah. just fine. Yeah. Physically unscathed, mentally on the <laughs> precipice of insanity. Yeah. Her family, supposedly, is working hard to keep the secret that their father is dead away from the creditors. And Shalon's on her way to Jasna Colin to become her ward in order to get close to her to steal the soulcaster, which her father had one, and that's how he made all his money. Mm-hmm. His is broken. He's dead. This is her way to save the family. So would you put yourself in her shoes? Would you ever go take a mentorship from someone that you believe to be a heretic to try to save your family? Well, my fir- my instinct It's an is interesting dilemma, no. right? Like, you, right, you say no. But put in that situation, who knows what I would do? Right. You know? Right. It- now, I would do, I know I would do what I could, and I know I would do what I think is necessary, right or wrong, what is necessary to save my family or mm-hmm. to help my family, but would I choose this particular path? Maybe, if it's the only thing I saw as feasible. So yes, but my instinctively you want to say, of course not, no. Yeah, If but... I believe somebody's a heretic, why would I tie myself to them yeah. in order for a slight chance to steal a thing and not get killed and run away. This is one of the things that I really enjoy about Sanderson's writing is he takes characters and he puts them in ethical dilemmas. And they're not they're not clean, pristine characters. They're all broken in some way or another, which we'll find out. So he takes broken people and he puts them in difficult situations that require ethical bridges to be formed to justify their actions. Yeah. Just like yeah. we live day to day. Fascinating that you said that because that now puts an extra layer on Warbreaker. Right, right. He takes characters. Vivina is a great example. Vivina was prepared for her whole life. This is in the first chapter. Doesn't matter. Prepared for her whole life to have an arranged marriage with a god king of another kingdom, and then at the end of the first chapter or beginning of the second, she's no longer chosen to do the thing that she prepared her whole life to do. So she was right. Set up as one way and then released in a different way and forced to deal with the consequences of her circumstances and then make her own ethical choices moving forward. So this is, to me, one of the key strengths of the characters that we watch unfold, their lives, their choices in the Cosmere as a whole. We saw it. With silence, she had to make ethical decisions for her and her kids and for what they were choosing to do. We see we see it over and over again in Sanderson's writing. So I appreciate that you're honest, like, well, I, I, I want to say no. I mean, if my family's destitute, I have to do something. And 
it sounds like the amount of money that you can't just go and work a nine to five to figure out. And it sounds like the level of money. Yeah, go for it. Yeah, yeah. This is not where she could, you know, sacrifice her weekends for two years at, you know, Forever 21 or the local 7-Eleven, right? No. Her dad owes serious people serious money. Big money. Because Big money, all the whammies. All the whammies. If you're going to transpose that into our world as an example, let's say he is the owner and he makes the Slurpees. He makes the Slurpee machines for 7-Eleven. Well, he's dead. 700 stores want slippery machines that they paid for, and he ain't got them. And the family doesn't have them. And the family and has he... to do something about it before right. they, yeah, before they're taken yeah. and put into slavery. And yeah, yeah, exactly. All right. So we, we meet Shalon, and she has to make a really difficult ethical decision. And we yeah. learn a little bit about her family and how they owe money. Then we move back. Well, I have a question about Shalon. Yes. Yes. So the question I have who killed Shalon's father? And is that important to the story? That's a great question. And uh, so I want to introduce you to something called Rafo. Sanderson, in his videos... Yeah, yeah, I know. Read and find out. Read and find out, right. Now, the thing is, it's funny because sometimes Rafo simply means that he's not going to tell you. And sometimes Rafo means that you will find out. And sometimes Rafo means you have to wait for another book. Those are good questions, though. The second question I have is Shalon specific. What's with the hands? One hand is free. One hand is covered. One hand. Mm-hmm. I forget the exact terminology. Yeah, proprietary, not yeah. proprietary. Propriety. In this culture, in the Alethi culture, it is improper for women to show their hand, and so they keep it covered. Both hands or just one hand? Just one. Why? So some of the yeah. culture stuff does get answered. Some of the culture stuff doesn't. Sanderson does this thing where it's like an iceberg. You give enough information where people believe that there's a bottom to the iceberg, but he doesn't flesh out the world the way that other fantasy authors do. I mean, frankly, I think that's why he can write so many books so quickly. He's also a chronic drafter. But when I was writing my fantasy novel with my co-author, we didn't want to go with the iceberg technique, and we tried to define everything, which is part of the reason I don't have a book, if I'm being honest. We we do have like a creation story and like post creation story and we have probably like two thousand years of headlines of information that happen and like key stories that take place and that's not even all of it right that's just like what we put down. But we went through three revisions of the magic system. We have forty something characters, you know, thousands of years of information with like technological advances and da 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 da. But we got lost in the weeds a little bit where it's like, oh, well, we should make a new creature for this. And so then there's this creature about a lock me and these orphans and like this thing that happens. And now we've seen one new creature in the world, but we got lost in the weeds because it's like, well, we want to define everything. We want it to be a hard magic system versus a soft magic system. Let me pause real quick. Do you know about a hard magic system versus soft magic systems? No, not really. Why don't you explain it to me? Yeah, sounds good. So... A hard magic system has a clear set of rules, right? So you you don't get to just say, oh, well, they solved it with magic. Hard magic solves problems for the protagonist. Soft magic causes problems for the protagonist. Not always, but usually. And soft magic doesn't have clear rules that you know going in, whereas hard magic does have a clear set of rules. We see that in the prelude and the prologue briefly because sanderson doesn't do an encyclopedia dump 
he gives you a piece here, a piece there. This type of writing, I would clarify as progression fantasy, where each book you see the characters from the beginning of the book have dilemmas and character flaws and whatever, and then by the end of the book, they've moved through some of it. Not all of it, but they moved through some of it. And then in the next book, you say, all right, well, they finished the last one, they overcame this thing, and then the next one, they have to overcome another part of their personality or physical dilemmas or, or, or what have you. So hard magic systems are more defined and used by main characters oftentimes. Soft magic systems are used by antagonists and they're they're very undefined and it's just like, ooh, it's magic. So Makes sense. That makes sense. I, I get it now. Yeah, yeah. So uh, Sanderson tends to, to lean on hard magic systems where there's specific rules so some things you can't do, and some things you can, and part of his hard magic system is how his universe, the Cosmere, functions as a whole, which is relevant. So everything that you read in Warbreaker has some relevance on other books. That's not how I want to say that. Everything you read in Warbreaker, everything you read in uh, Shadows for Silence, everything you read in... Well, I think we only read two at this point, but everything that you read, some of those rules are universe rules and some of those rules are planetary rules. Okay. I'm going to leave. Makes sense. I'm going to leave that at that for for now. And that'll unfold more as we read more Sanderson, which will happen eventually. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense because the shards. The shards. Yes. What of the shards? So there's, right, 17 shards from what I understand, or even more, and each shard has a connection to a god in the Cosmere, and each planet has some of the shards, or a shard, or parts of a shard. So that already, to me, paints the picture you just said about hard magic versus soft magic, and then tie, how you tied it into what connections there are in this world between planets in particular, and the whole universe in general. So mm-hmm. that's just a comment more than anything else. Right. Good. Yeah. Good comment. Interesting. The shards. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because you got shard blades and shard plates for the you know the soldiers. Obviously, that is from a broken shard on the planet Roshar. Could very well be. Could very so well not be. obviously, but possibly. Mm-hmm. You're just gonna keep me in the dark, <laughs> Rafa. That's gonna turn into like a swear for us. Well, storms, man. It will. One of the things that I also enjoy, I need to come up with new phrases. I just do. I like that the characters use their equivalent of curse words. Storms. Same thing happened in Warbreaker. Colors. They use slang to emphasize their internal feelings by exclaiming words that we find to be mundane. These swear words, colors, and storms, mm-hmm. they are almost the goddammit version of for us, right? Yeah, yeah, they are. In Warbreaker, colors are associated with cultic practices. I don't mean cultic as in like David Koresh cultic. I mean cultic in the, the actual Religious academic, cultic. Dogmatic. Yeah, in that academic sense, uh, cultic practices. And, and storms here 
have a religious connotation too in the way of kings mm-hmm. because as we're as we're moving into chapter four mm-hmm. we encounter a high storm we do which is a devastating hurricane like event that destroys most things or if it doesn't destroy things it severely over the thousands of years that they've been going on have altered the landscape of Roshar. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so, because obviously the people build shelters that protect them from the high storms, so it doesn't destroy everything. And despite these things being hurricane-like, from what I read, they don't obliterate all life. Life has learned to adapt. And it has something to do with Stormfather, who is a god or a deity of some sort. Mm-hmm. Turn every liability into advantage whenever you can. Is that Stormfather's motto? No. Nope. Just a thing I heard from a general once. Anyway, Kaladin makes an enemy of Tavlakov, his slave driver. I wouldn't say that he makes an enemy out of him, but he definitely... Antagonizes? Yeah. Yeah, that antagonizes sounds like a good word. Because later on we see him sort of, kind of, help Cal. So not entirely an enemy, but definitely not a friend. So what did you think about the fact that the Windspren came back? Now, I know that we're covering chapters that you, you've already like read ahead just because we're covering more chapters, and this is like chapter four, and we're going through 11 at the moment. But uh, like when you read this about the Windspren coming back to talk to Cal, what, do you, what, what are your questions and assumptions here? She leaves because she's afraid she'll forget herself or lose herself, and Cal is just, I think, too much for her. He's brooding. And she's like, I gotta go. You used to not be like this. You used to fight. I might come back later. And she does come back, and she comes back, you know, at a very, very critical moment, a crucial moment. So to answer your question more directly, I kind of figured she'd come back. I, okay. I'm not, I'm not sure I can go into it because I'm like, yeah, she's going to be back. It I, felt I'm, like... She, she has... Uh, we can just call her her name. We, we learned her name in a couple chapters anyway. Sil. Silfrena. So, yeah, okay. How do you, as we go into chapter five, how do you like the going back and forth between point of views? Oh, I don't mind it at all. I like it. I know some people might get annoyed with it or get lost. I like that kind of style. I don't, I don't mind it at all. Mm-hmm. I can't say it's my favorite and I can't say I hate it. I just like, this is the way this author choosing to tell the story and I am totally fine with it. This is the way. The way of kings. Yes. I like it because it feels like a movie. It feels like cinema. It feels like one scene to another. And you know that they're somehow going to tie together, but you just don't know how yet. Yep. Yep. Yeah. So I'm chapter five. Interested. Oh, yeah. Go for it. I am very interested in seeing how Shallan ties into Cal, mm-hmm. like how, how those stories intersect. Because mm. I'm assuming they will. Mm. And, I think I'm assuming, mm. and I think I'm assuming correctly because of what you just said. I want to know how Shallan mm. and Kaladin meet. Mm-hmm. No. Well, what are the circumstances that intersect those? Uh, do stories? you think that they're do you think that they're happening in the same time frame? Because we've already taken note that the prelude happens forty five hundred years before the assassination no. and then the assassination happens like you know, storms knows when compared yep. to whenever Kaladin is alive and then compared to whenever Shalon is alive. Well, let's let's get to Slava's first assumption. No. Okay. I think what's happening to Shalon and what's happened to Kaladin are different timelines. And I think what's happening to Shallan happens before 
what's happening to Kaladin as he's a slave. Okay. Why do you think that? I can't give you a good answer. That's fine. It's the vibe, though. It's the vibe. Excellent, excellent choice of words. It's the yeah, vibe yeah. that I'm I, I'm getting. It was just something that hit me as I was listening to it in the car. Mm-hmm. So you become you have to be a non-spirit before you become a spirit. Mm. I'm, ma- I'm making that assumption about Brandon Sanderson's new world here. Sure. How did she become a spirit? And could she be a character that we already met? And if she could, I think she might be Shalon. So there you go. I actually gave you a, yeah, a more yeah. logical yeah. Interesting. progression of my thought. Interesting. Yeah. What do you guys mm. think in the uh in the comments? Do you think that Slava well, if you are if you've read this book, you have to wrong answers only. <laughs> wrong answers only. But speaking of Shalon, chapter five, the heretic, Shalon meets Yasna, and what a meeting. What a yeah, meeting. I love this. I love this. I figured you might have. Run us through what what happens. Yeah, so Shalon is a quiet timid yeah she's quiet she's timid timid is a better word partly because the cultural upbringing and she's going on this quest which requires her to be the opposite of what she is and she meets with somebody that is the complete opposite of her she says what she thinks she would be classified as abrasive by most people what was the question what did you what did you think about the interaction that Shalon has with Yasna? Because it was like I think a blustering. It stretched her. Yeah, yeah, I think yeah. it stretched Shalon. Shalon, this is crap or get off the pot kind of a moment for Shalon because she came all the way here. It took her months to get to this city. It and she was following Jasna from port to port because she thinks she's operating under the assumption that Jasna already gave her this wardship. And she needs to find her. And so, all right, I got this wardship. Now I got to find this uh, this heretic, steal this soul binder uh, from her, and then my family will be saved. And that's enough of a stress on Shalon. But that she gets there, and Justin's like, I like your perseverance. I like your tenacity. Next time you see each other, you can petition me. And so Shalon's now like, crap, I haven't done anything that I thought I would have. I did. It starts now. Right. So this timid girl... Think she's halfway there. Nope. So do you remember when we read Warbreaker and you popped over to Sanderson's website and you checked out the annotations? Yes. There's annotations for the Way of Kings also. Oh yeah. I Did you... didn't read all of them, but okay. I, I didn't get to this chapter. I read uh, okay. I read the annotations for Prelude Prologue in the first two chapters. Interesting. All right, pause on that for just a half second. So there's a second version of the Way of Kings called Way of Kings Prime. Basically, Sanderson released his early, early rundown of what the book was when it didn't work. So it's a totally different story with a similar flair, similar flavor. But um, the annotations for this chapter, uh, Sanderson talks about how Yasna and Taln, who you... Taln is the guy that they left at the prelude the guy who is going to be remaining with the oath pact who died yeah the one who's in the yeah. place of nightmares yeah so in prime yasna and Tal both had major sections of the plot in addition to kaladin dalinar zeth and the character that shallan replaced but the thing never pulled together quote end quote okay. from sanderson but interesting yeah so like there's just a lot more characters that existed in prime i've never actually read prime I'm a little hesitant to, if I'm being honest. I would be. Yeah. yeah I, I just be. like the series a lot. So at some point, I probably will just to be like, I'm curious. 
let's keep this show on the road. Any any big notes about Shalon and Yasna's meeting that you, that stood out to you besides the fact that Yasna is a firebrand of a woman? Nothing stood out majorly. I enjoyed questions, the interaction. Let me see. Let me pull up my notes. So the questions was, what is a soulcaster? And what are the world-specific qualifications and definitions, I got all fancy, mm. of heretics? So what qualifies Jasna as a heretic besides the obvious or not believing in the religion of the land? You know, okay. Right, yeah. the Almighty. That's, a, that's a, the, a heretic and apostate because I think she was a believer before. Mm-hmm. Great. I want to know details. Well, so you you got to see what a soul caster was partly because Yasna soul casts stone and transforms it into smoke, saving Teravangian, King Teravangian of Carbronth. Yeah, his granddaughter. His, his granddaughter, right. So you got to see the soul caster at least in action in part. Sure. And then you sure. also know that soul casters helped Shalon's family make money. So yeah. there's at least two data points for what soul casters are at this point. Yes, not good enough for me, though, right? Of course. Um, not this guy. So so they can turn stone into dust or smoke. And then for Shalon's dad, he was able to mine something because of it. So same principle, right? Yep. Turning one thing into another. Right. So, okay. But I want to know what it is. Because it's not as if you told me, okay, this is a shard blade. It's a sword. It's six feet long. You need a, sh- a shard plate plated armor to wield it and it cuts through stone it destroys diamonds it can cut 10 men in half like well yeah that's a sword i get it but you tell me hey there's this thing you can even tell me the shape of it like here's this thing it's a square with a you know the handle it grows green and it turns rocks into stone i was like oh that's cool it's called a it's called a soul caster i'm like all right interesting Mm. name what is it, and what does it do beyond the obvious? Mm-hmm. Patterns. Mm. Yeah, it's the same pattern Pattern in my questioning or principle when I say, yeah, I get it, Justin is a heretic because he doesn't believe in the religion of the land, but what besides that? Mm-hmm. Uh, from a Christian perspective, right? How would, how would a, the church brand somebody a heretic? Well, it's not necessarily because you disagree on so-called denominational points, right? Something that's unique to denomination. Mm-hmm. But if you deny the Trinity, if you deny the deity of Christ, if you deny salvation being achieved by Christ on the cross as the sole, sole way that a person is saved, if you deny those three, most churches, irrespective of their denominational stripes, they will say, okay, yeah, that's somebody that is a heretic. That is somebody that's teaching... Not only denying something, but teaching contrary to the faith that's been handed down right. through generations. So, based on that philosophy, that understanding, what makes Jasna a heretic? So, what makes a soul caster a soul caster? What makes Jasna a heretic beyond just denying the faith? I guess, what does a ward do besides the obvious? Like, I, I know what a ward could do. Right. But, like, what is Shalon really tying herself to? How big of a risk is she taking? Mm-hmm. I'm interested in that. When pressed and when she feels free, she she's a firebrand too. Yes. Yeah, her mouth is that of a sailor from time to time. Yeah, that's it. I don't want to belabor it. I don't want to just, you know, I don't want to crawl up my own butt. 
and start you know philosophizing about this stuff. But those are the questions. Things will be revealed. One of my favorite chapters right here, chapter six, bridge four. Oh, I didn't even get into this. There's a quote from chapter four that I wanted to mention that happens at the end. It's Kaladin wants to try to find his way back to the man he had been, a, a man who had cared. So fast forward, bridge four. There's another line. One final torment the world had reserved just for Kaladin, and it was called Bridge Four. Beautiful. Dude, I had to pause, and I'm I'm not exaggerating. I had to pause and go, okay, Sanderson, well done, sir. Well done. There's lines like this. Dude. They're great. They're, they're great. And I, there's one in Chapter 13. I won't say it here, but I almost can't wait till Chapter 13 to talk about it. Right, right. See? Yeah. See, I knew you were going to enjoy the book because- it's yep. it's a little slow on the front end because you're like you have all these questions, you have all these assumptions, you don't know what time it is, what's going on, but it's about to pick up and I'm real excited. All right, so Bridge 4. What tell me tell me what you thought about Bridge 4. So Kaladin, they get to the Shattered Plains. Sounds Plains. like a good movie title, right? Movies are coming. Movies are coming. This chapter alone could be a movie. It could start with Kaladin bloodied dragging a bridge. Yeah. So yep. he's he's all the the bridges are under the jurisdiction of a character named Gaz, who's just kind of a skeevy man. Yeah, a little bit. And then for several hours on his first bridge run, they have to carry the bridge from chasm to chasm to get to where the Parshendi are at. And then they take a volley of arrows where they're running headfirst into war. And the the whole thing is everyone around him is dying. And then the bridge gets heavier and heavier and heavier. And you keep running because you have to keep running or they're going to kill you anyway. And so it's this, I, I see it as this really great analogy for life. Sometimes you're running headlong into suffering and the people, your friends, they turn on you. The people around you no longer support you. They get busy. They're too, they're too busy to, to reach out. And yep. life becomes even more suffering because people around you are dropping like flies. Absolutely. Absolutely. Even just Calvin's thoughts, you think he's at his wit's end or the end of his rope after he sees a fellow slave being bludgeoned to death just because the slave, uh, slave drivers didn't want to deal with uh, giving him extra water. He's going through, he's processing a lot, and here he is pushing this bridge and he's one of the few that lives over and over. Which over sounds like again. hell, literally. Exactly. So on that note, uh, and we're just going to tie together Chapter 9 called Damnation and Bridge 4 because they're both about Kaladin. And I'm uh, as we've been doing this episode, I think that maybe this is what we'll do mo moving forward to keep these episodes closer to an hour. We see Cal walking up to the honor chasm. Yeah. Thinking about killing himself. Right. And the skeevy guy Gaz takes a minute and uh for the for whatever little bit of respect he can offer, he, he does. He just goes, you know, just leave the leave the vest and the, the shoes. Right? Yep. But then he stands there and who returns? Our friend Sil. Sil. And what has she got with her? She brings him this poisonous plant and gives it to him because it made him happy when he had the poisonous plant before. He wasn't sulking so much when he had an instrument that he could kill the slave driver with. Mm -hmm. 
So she breaks it to him and says, like, hey, now don't kill yourself. Here's a flower or a plant. And he's like, what the hell is this? Why, why are you bringing me this? She's like, oh, don't you like this plant? I saw you, like, you know. Yeah, you were, you were happier you back plant. then when you had this. Yeah, when you had poison in your pocket. <laughs> I thought it was, a, it was a good scene. It's cute. It's, it's fun. It's right. It is cute because it's silly, but it's also real. It's this moment of choice and a moment of smoldering coals without hope and then something happens to spark the flame again right, right. so the honor cl- the honor chasm is the place where men go to die you couldn't be that man again but he could learn from that man it's one of the lines cal kaladin stormblessed was dead but kaladin bridgeman was up the same uh, was of the same blood descendant with new potential so he goes back and he rallies the bridgemen who are also just waiting to die, basically. <laughs> he makes the joke, well, we're going to have a hard day tomorrow from Teft, whose name he gets. And Teft's like, well, how do you know? And he's like, because we're bridgemen and every day is a hard day. <laughs> <laughs> yep. There's a lot of funny lines that you'll enjoy here as things go on. And that's definitely a joke that a military man would say. Yeah. You know, it's a gallo, almost gallows humor, but not really. It's kind of approaching gallows humor. Yeah. Any questions or assumptions about Cal, uh, Kaladin Stormblessed? Well, Kaladin Bridgman. I yeah. let me correct well, myself. Because I read the interlude, I know who he is and where he comes from. Well, a I don't think you mean the interlude. Assumption. I think you mean there's a chapter that we didn't talk about. Yeah. With the flashback the of his, yeah. his uh, yep. past where he's a exactly. surgeon. I mean, yeah, comment on that too. I'm just trying to trying to get well, us. Well, he got his wish, right? He got his wish. As a, when he was a kid, he was destined to be a surgeon, just like his father. But there are things about his father Kaladin didn't like, even though he respected and loved his father. So say we all. He wanted, yeah, he wanted to do something great, greater with himself. He wanted to do something honorable. Mm-hmm. And in his eight-year-old mind, uh, I think he was eight in that story, he wanted to be a soldier, to do something good, to protect. And his dad, a bit of a pacifist, so I, I hate him already. <laughs> you shouldn't go looking for a fight, but sometimes you do have to fight. And so he gets his wish. As we see in chapter two, he's a damn good fighter. He is. He is. Right? There's a Chinese proverb, it's better to be a warrior in a garden than a gardener in a war. Absolutely. Right? Absolutely. So your so, assumptions and questions. My assumption is is that he is going to, to some degree, he is going to ascend back to to his former stature. He might not be Caled and Stormblessed in the strict sense, but I, I think moving forward, he's going to win over not only the men on Bridge 4, but he might even have success farther up the echelons of that army. Or he might escape and we'll find him... In a bar somewhere with a, his uh, slave markings carved off. Ooh, woof! Yeah, that. Uh, yeah, that would be that would be something. Oh boy. Uh, Look at assumptions. I'm just right. I, right. I'm not reading anything ahead, except for general world no, yeah, knowledge. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Reading just portions enough to give me an understanding of the world that I'm in. That's one assumption I'm making. I think it's the interlude. That's where we we meet a guy in a bar, yeah. That has. We'll get into the interludes later. Let's go back to Shalon real quick before we wrap up the episode. Shalon has met Yasna, 
Yasna turns her down. Shalon goes back. She meets Capsule. We learn a little more about Shalon's past. And in that was chapter 7. Chapter 8 is Nearer the Flame, where it notes that Yasna is the finest living scholar. And Shalon, in a last-ditch effort, buys some books to try to help uh, her really get home because she's got nothing to lose. Like, if she doesn't help her family, they're all dead. Well, why is she buying books? I think that's an important thing to tell her listeners. Yastin tells her, like, yeah, you could be a ward, but you don't have enough Her education was lacking. Yeah, history and logic. Yeah, Yastin scolds. She scolds Shalon. Your parents didn't prepare you. Your knowledge is lacking. You haven't read these authors. Da, 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 da. And then Shalon's like, well, I didn't have an education, so... She goes to buy a book and eventually convinces Yasna that her pursuit of knowledge hasn't been, you know, flighty or she hasn't been lazy. And despite the shortcomings of her family... It's hard fought. Her scholarship is hard fought. It's hard fought, and she's self-taught. It's hard fought, and that proves to Jasna that she is worthy to be a ward. I was really hoping you were going to write a poem, just a really quick. It was hard fought. She's self-taught. She keeps going no matter what. Yeah, see, we'll fix that in post. Oh, There'll boy. be a poem here. Oh, boy. All right, so assumptions about Shalon and questions, and then let's wrap this bad boy up. Assumptions about Shalon. I think Shalon is not going to get the soul catcher at all, or it's going to take longer than expected. Mm. And whatever, that's not going to end well for Shalon. She is not going to save her family. Oof. That's my assumption. Right, right. Oof. Okay, cool. So when you say oof, are you just throwing me off course just to not tell me that I'm I'm almost right? I don't know. Or, I don't know. Okay. I'm not sure. The uh the audience, if they've read Sanderson, they'll know. They'll know what I'm okay. what I am and am not affirming if I'm leading you astray or mm, helping you identify yeah. patterns. Mm. Yeah. Well I, yeah, I think it's Shalon's life is not gonna get easier. <laughs> it's uh, not how do you be- really feel? It's not going to be like, you know, chapter 17, she steals the soul catcher, caster, uh-huh. goes back and, you know, fixes everything for her family. I don't think it's that. And it's going to be, that's too easy anyway. That wouldn't be good writing. You're not going to fill a thousand pages with that either. Yeah. I think, I think Shalon is in for a very difficult, difficult road. And it's not going to be the difficulty in stealing the soul caster. It's going to be the difficulty in what happens as she does and uh, the fallout from that. Right. Well, it's, I mean, it's not rocket science to say that all these characters are littered with suffering for their backgrounds. And then it's fair to assume that their futures are also going to entail some degree of suffering. Otherwise, it wouldn't be drama. Otherwise, it wouldn't be a book. So that's a, you're, you're right. She is going to suffer. And you're right, Kaladin is going to suffer. What did we read earlier? There's one last torment saved for him, and it was called Bridge 4. Woof. All right, so that's it. Chapter 11, we're caught up. We're going to try to speed this up next time by maybe just consolidating the characters and their journeys regardless of chapter specifics, just so that we can try to keep this to an hour. But what are your feels 
your vibe. How are you feeling about the story so far? Seems like you like it. I do, dude. And I hate to say it, sound like a fanboy because I'm not. You are now. It's three for three for me with Sanderson. And I kind of knew it was when I will, when I read Warbreaker, I was hooked from the first chapter. The prologue. I told you that. The prologue. From, so good. Yeah. Even the prologue. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's funny, Vasher thought. How yeah, many things start with him being thrown into prison? That's the opening line. That's a good line. It's so good. I mean, I you can fi- you can always find a hater to throw shade at that, but that is an objectively good line. It provokes all the questions, and you go, "Wait, what?" And then, yeah, the prologue. And then Nightblood. Oh, <laughs> oh, Nightblood! I can't wait till we talk about Warbreaker. Is probably like a two podcast episodes. Yeah, because it's not what very I long. want. What I want is Warbreaker 2, Siri and Nightblood go on a vacation. Sounds like a rom com. Lord. All right, come back to come back to Roshar for a minute. We can we can get back to Nalthus later. The point is with the side question to Warbreaker is I knew I was going to like this book because Sanderson already hooked me on his writing with Warbreaker. Then we read Silence, Shadows for Silence. mm mm-hmm. Mhm. And I was like, okay, two for two. And so going into this, I knew I was going to like it, and I wasn't disappointed. I am intrigued by Shalon and Kaladin. Kaladin. Kaladin, excuse me. I'm intrigued by these characters. I want to finish the journey Mm. with them. Journey before destination. Exciting. All right. Thank you for tuning in today on SideQuest Podcast with a look at The Way of Kings, episode one. Next episode, we're going to look at the interludes, one, two, and three, and then we're going to go up through chapter 17, which is roughly six chapters, nine total. We will speed it up next time. Thanks for tuning in to the hour and a half episode this time, where we went a little more piece by piece. Let us know, if you're on Spotify, there's a button that says reply. Let us know, is this too in-depth? Is it not in-depth enough? Do you would you would you listen to twenty episodes where we go slower and we really dive into each chapter a little more regularly? You let us know. We'll keep doing it. I can't wait. There's so much about to happen. It's exciting. It's exciting. Yep. All right, good people. Goodbye. <laughs>